Well, good morning, people of God. Good to see you in the house today. Um, fun story, I got to tell you, from uh, two Fridays ago, so nine days ago, we finished the Friday night service that I lead and sang the last song, prayed the blessing, walked off the stage, and this guy runs up to me, just full of energy. He goes, can I tell you a testimony? I said, please tell me a testimony. And he said, for 11 years, I've had 15% range of motion in my neck. And he's doing this. And he said, there's military injury, and I've been seeing a physical therapist for 11 years. I've got neuropathy in my fingers. The, the nerve endings are, it's excruciating pain 24-7 for 11 years. I don't know what it's like to not be just in terrible pain. And he said, during the last song, I felt someone touch my head and run their hand down the back of my neck. And I turned around, and there was no one there. And he said, when the hand went down the back of my neck, I heard five bones crack. And he said, Jesus healed me. <laughs> and he started going like this. And he was like, he was like about to throw his back out. He was swinging his neck around so much. And he said, I went to the physical therapist the next Monday and I showed him what I could do. And they said, it's a miracle. And he said, no, duh. Like, of course. And he came back on Friday night a week later and he's still feeling great. And so can we just celebrate that the Lord, this is what Jesus does and what he can do. And we celebrate with you, brother. His name is Aaron, and we're, we're thrilled for you, Aaron. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. It's toward the end of the book, if you're new to the book. In the New Testament, and if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen, no problem at all. But what I'll do is I'll read these three verses, and I'll pray, and we'll jump in. We're in the second week of our series called Who is God? Focusing on God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we spent eight weeks on God the Father, now we're in God the Son, and at Pentecost after, after uh, Easter, we'll talk about God the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit. So week two of who is Jesus. Um, so what I'll do is read this text and we'll pray. So hear the word of the Lord. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the truth we profess, the faith we profess, for we do not have a great high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I'll say it another way. I'll say it the positive way. For we do have a great high priest who is able to sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He has been tempted in every way. Flag that phrase in your mind today for our talk. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to speak. It's about as simple as I can say it. We need you to speak. May I decrease so that you can increase. If we came here for a tricky talk, if we came here to be entertained, we're wasting our time but we didn't come for that. We came because we know in our bones that from of old, you are the God who says, let there be, and there was. And so Lord, into our darkness today, would you say, let there be light? Into our chaos today, would you say, peace be still? Into our fear today, would you calm the storm around us and bring us life? Lord, speak to us, your people. We pray with the ancient psalmist, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our strength and our redeemer, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Have you ever been with someone who was there, but they weren't really there? <laughs> like you're, you're sitting at a table sharing your heart with someone around a meal and you just keep hearing and they're looking down and they're checking scores and how's my bracket doing and you know fantasy football and and you're trying to like pour out your heart and you just see this glazed over and they'll look up at you and kind of give you that uh, real kind of yeah oh yeah that's great I'm listening I'm tracking with you no you aren't I, I told a guy recently at lunch I was like hey can, will you stop looking at your phone? We're, like you asked me for lunch and now you're, you're having lunch with your phone. <laughs> like have you ever been with someone who is there but not fully there? I think that many people think of Jesus this way with regard to his humanity. We as Christians, the, the great tenet of our faith is, is the belief in the incarnation that the word became flesh, that heaven came down to earth, that in Jesus Christ, he is 100% fully God and 100% fully man together, not 50-50, but 100-100. We believe in the incarnation that God became flesh. But in the early uh, hundreds of years after Jesus's ascension to the right hand of the Father, there were some heresies that were shooting around Asia Minor and around the Middle East and around North Africa. And I'll put a couple of these heresies in front of you. One of them was called docetism. And it comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem. And they were saying that Jesus only seemed human, but he was faking his humanity that he didn't actually know what it was like to be tempted, that he didn't know what it was like to be human. He, he took a body and we saw him and sure he was a public figure and sure he fed the 5,000. We can't really refute that because the history books have it. But, but he, he wasn't fully human, he just seemed like he was. There was another Apollinarianism, which is a great word, Apollinarianism. And, and it, they were saying that Christ had a human body, but he didn't have a human mind or a soul. This may seem like a small detail. It may seem like, why are we spending time on this? Like, yeah, like it, I, I want you to know by the end of the day why it matters that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Did any of you ever see the movie Men in Black? Raise your hands. This is repentance, okay? Uh, your sins are forgiven you. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, my pastor saw men in black. I thought, okay, you've got your place locked in in heaven and, and we'll be fine. We'll all repent. But some of us saw men in black. We're, we're living just a little bit. This is not an endorsement, by the way, um, for you 13-year-olds. I did not say, don't tell your parents that the pastor said you could watch men in black. That's not what's going on here. But I'm just asking, if you've seen it, recall, uh, recall this picture, Edgar the farmer. I'll put up Edgar's picture here. Uh, just a decent guy, you know, hard working, working the fields, Edgar, the farmer. And he's uh, at dinner in his, in his kitchen, eating chicken fried steak and potatoes and greens after a long day working in the fields. And he's got his uh, overalls on. And all of a sudden he hears just this earth shattering explosion, uh, an extraterrestrial spaceship smashes into the ground and there's a crater outside and Edgar jumps up from the kitchen table with his shotgun. How big an old boy are you? And he runs out there to handle his business to see what's going on and he steps up to the edge of the crater and this extraterrestrial terrorist this, the, the, just grabs Edgar and pulls him down into the pit and then takes over his body. 
This is the second picture of Edgar that I want you to see. So Edgar goes out, Edgar, and he comes back in, and this extraterrestrial antagonist, the, 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 bad, uh, the bad character in the movie, takes over his body, and Edgar walks in like this, you know, and he went out, Edgar, the farmer, and he comes in, and his wife, you know, sees him and just collapses in the kitchen, like, what's going on? I think that many of us think about Jesus this way, that God crashed in to the earth and it was this like heavenly takeover and Jesus went about doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil casting out demons and and feeding the 5,000 but we don't actually think that he was human we just think that he was God kind of faking it on the earth but all throughout the scriptures and all throughout the Christian creeds and all throughout church history, theologians and scholars and writers and, and prophets have said, no, God is fully God and fully man in Jesus Christ. Like that is a non-negotiable. Jesus Christ wasn't faking it as a human being. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a, help me, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law that we might receive adoption as children. Understand the the trajectory here. God sent his son from heaven and he's born of a woman and he's born under the law. He's got the Roman empire there. He's got Pontius Pilate there. He's got to pay his taxes. He's going to, to school, grade school, just like all the other kids. God sent his son born of the Virgin Mary, born under the law. Why? So that he can take us those of us who are under the law, and make us children of God. God came low so that he could take us up into the heavenly places. John 1, this great iconic text, in the beginning was the word. Now I need you to hear John chapter 1 verse 1. I need you to hear Genesis 1, 1 echoes. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then John comes along in John 1, 1 and says, in the beginning the word He was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like the Word became flesh. God wasn't faking it. God wasn't staying at a distance. God wasn't taking over a human body, but but just kind of buying his time. No, God actually entered into the human condition when we say that God is incarnate, we mean that God is incarnate. After you turn the page from John 1, you turn to John 2 and you hear the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. His very first miracle in John 2, he's at a wedding, his mom goes, they've run out of wine, they've got some water, do your thing, Jesus, and Jesus goes, woman, it's not my time. And she goes, I'm your mother, do what I told you, do your thing. And he snaps to and he does his thing and he's volunteering at a wedding and, and, and he turns the water into wine and then there's seven miracles that John just rips off super fast. The water to wine, he heals the royal official's son in Capernaum. He heals the paralytic beside the pool of Bethesda. This, this paralytic couldn't get in the water fast enough to receive healing and so he helps and raises this paralytic up and then he feeds the 5,000 men, not including women and children and Then he walks out on the water in the middle of a storm. He heals the man that's blind from birth. And finally, he raises up Lazarus from the dead. These are known as the seven signs in the Gospel of John about Jesus' lordship, his divinity. 
But what I want you to see, I, I was, as I was preparing this message this week, I was journaling and just kind of praying through, Lord, what do you want me to say? And as I was thinking through the seven miracles in the book of John, I wrote this out in my journal. So just track with me here. In these seven miracles in the book of John, Jesus is tangled up in complex family relationships. He's RSVP'd to and attended a wedding celebration. He's been pressed into volunteering at a social function. He's accidentally hosted a large outdoor festival with hungry, raucous crowds. His work is being threatened by volatile weather systems and bomb cyclones. Jesus gets it, people. Some of you were in that bomb cyclone with me a few years ago. Crazy town. Jesus goes, yeah, welcome. Welcome to the story. Jesus, he knows what's going on. He's having healthcare conversations. He's having political conversations. He's demolishing social caste systems. He's restoring economic solvency to the poor. He's visiting funeral homes. He's comforting bereaved sisters. He's functioning as a triage nurse and he's giving people bread and wine because at the end of the day, we humans all have to eat. And then I wrote, Jesus sounds like a thoroughly human God man to me. We treat Jesus as if he is this some sort of heavenly takeover, but he didn't actually become human. But for 2,000 years, the church has been saying, no, if Jesus didn't become human, we are all in trouble. If Jesus didn't become human, we're all lost. If Jesus didn't become human, we're all irretrievably broken. If Jesus didn't become fully man, mixed with fully God, if, if, if heaven and earth did not come together in this man, Jesus Christ, then we've all been lost forever. So I wanna ask the question today, why does it matter that God became human? Why does it matter that God became human? Why would it matter if God only did take on a body, but he didn't have a human will. The theologian Gregory of Nazianzus said in the uh, 329, he said, that which has not been assumed by Jesus has not been healed. And if Jesus did not assume, assume a human will, then that in us which suffered first has not been healed. That which has not been assumed, taken on, entered into, has not been healed. You open up Genesis chapter three, after God gives them the perfect garden, what, what does he tell them? Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, I promise, trust me, I'll be God, you follow me, and as we live in that communion, we'll be fine. Well, they break that communion because the, the snake slithers up and seduces them with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I will be like God. That looks good to me. And in that moment, I want you to see that it wasn't, it wasn't so much that they took the fruit, it's that their human desiring mechanism in them broke first, and taking the fruit was a symptom of the root problem. They wanted to be in charge of the story. They wanted to break communion with God and, and cut out the middleman and be their own gods. And in that moment, the human desiring mechanism collapsed in on itself, and from that, we have a world of chaos and fear and confusion and war and rumors of wars and hatred and tribalism because it started right here. And so Gregory of Nazianzus comes along and says, look, if Jesus didn't assume the human will, then he can't heal it. If Jesus didn't know what it was to be tempted in every way, yet without sin, then, then we're all lost for eternity. But he says, no, God in Jesus Christ took it on and he healed us to the deepest places. Look at Hebrews 4 again. This is the message translation in verse 15. 
Now, now that we know what we have, Jesus, the great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. That, I love that translation. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. Why does it matter that Jesus assumed the human will and human emotions, that he is 100% God and 100% man, married together? Why does that matter? Some of you come in today and you've been struggling with addiction for years, and you wonder how you will ever be free, and you've tried on your own, and you've done every program you can do, which is so brilliant, and I admire your hard work, and keep at it, but you have failed to understand that Jesus has actually entered into that very temptation himself, and yet he's the one that was without sin. You have failed to name that, that Jesus knows what it's like, and so you're drawing on your own strength, but you're missing out on the strength of Jesus to fill you with his spirit so that you can stand up and be free. Some of you have been struggling with lust for years. Some of you have been struggling with greed for years. Some of us, we, we, we all bring something into this room that is broken and that needs addressed by Jesus. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, look, he knows what it's like, and so let's not squander the gift. Jesus, the great high priest, knows, and he was tempted in every way, yet he is without sin. I'll say it this way. Jesus brought all of his divinity into our humanity so that he might take all of our humanity up into his divinity. This is the great exchange. Pay attention to the trajectories. Jesus from on high comes down low and, and steps into the human condition. He goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he sweats drops of blood because of the agony and because of the anxiety and because of the heartbreak of being betrayed by friends. But Jesus is not overcome by that. Jesus stands up and, and, and remains faithful to the Father. He climbs the hill and he stretches out his arms. How will we be free, friends, from all the sins that so easily entangle us, we'll be free as we spend the rest of our lives coming to Jesus. So what do we do with this Jesus who is fully God and fully man? We come to him and we let him heal us every single day. All the people that I want to be like, that saints that I've been around for decades, they've followed Jesus. I, one, one common thread that I notice about all of their lives is they get up in the morning and they spend time in the presence of Jesus and they say, come Holy Spirit of Jesus and cleanse me. And they open up the scriptures and they read the scriptures and they let the, the scriptures wash over them. And they bring their anxieties to the Lord, just like John Egan was saying during worship. John, several years ago, said, I need help. I need, I need help and I need to name it and shame it so that I can be free from this. And when, he, and when he did that, he found healing. He entered into the life and the spirit and the power of Jesus that raised him up into fullness of life. Friends, Jesus knows what it is to be tempted by hatred. Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was denied by Peter three times on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus was left by all of his people and he strung up on a tree outside of Jerusalem wrongly. He didn't do anything to deserve this and Jesus was tempted toward hatred. What does he say with his last breaths? He says, Father, forgive. 
And you go to work and, and there's that person there where there's, there's the back and forth and there's the competition and, and you want to live with againstness in your heart toward them. And what do you do? You say, come Holy Spirit of Jesus and I pray, bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Forgive them. Be good to them. Be kind to them. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted with that, but Jesus knows the way through it. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted with fear. The enemy pressing in on him and, 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 and the, the screws being tightened as his life is coming to a close. And what does Jesus do? He enters in. Somehow he finds the peace of his father. Jesus knows what it's tempted to be, uh, to, to be tempted by greed. And what does he do? Instead of circling the wagons and living a self-protectionistic life, he stretches out his arms and self-sacrifices for the life of the world. Friends, Jesus knows what it's like to be us. <laughs> Jesus knows what it's like to try to live in this world and get by and make it and trust the Father, and he's the one who did it. And so what we do is we come to Jesus every single morning and we let him heal us. Gerhard Ford, great theologian, great thinker, he wrote one time this phrase that I'll never forget, and I'll put it in front of you today. He says, Jesus is the one in whom God does God to us. <laughs> I like that. Jesus is the one in whom God gods us. God changes us. And so Jesus comes into the story, and he takes up our humanity into his divinity, and he marries the two. And so as we come to Jesus every day, I'll come in the morning sometimes, and I'll say, Jesus, do God to me. <laughs> Jesus, forgive me. And Jesus, cleanse me. And Jesus, purify me. And Lord, you know the conversations I'm going into today. And you know that in my own human nature, on my own, that I would try to grab the story there, grab the reins, or manipulate the situation. Jesus, do God to me. Make me like yourself. And make me quick to listen. And slow to speak. And slow to become angry. If you'll live in the presence of Jesus... Jesus is the one in whom God will do God to you. Can you say amen today, church? C.S. Lewis, in his, he grew up with a Christian faith, but in his teenage years and 20s, he wandered from the faith, and even into his 30s, he, he was living a wild life, living a wild life, and he was experimenting, and he was testing the edges. God had obviously anointed him with his spirit and given him great giftings, but he didn't yet know how to steward these giftings. But somewhere in 1930, he, he started coming, coming back to Jesus. And in 1930, he started learning to scuba dive. I just can't even imagine, uh, what, it was at 80 eight years ago, like the technology, you must have like been like near death every time you tried to scuba dive 88 years ago. Like what was the technology, like a leather satchel with a little troll in there breathing up into your nostrils? Or like, I can't imagine how hard it was to scuba dive in 1930, but here Lewis is and he's going, he's going off the coast of England and, and he's learning and growing and coming back and journaling and all these different metaphors and the imagery that would stir his imagination that ended up in Narnia and so C.S. Lewis is this guy who's captivated by life under, under the sea as he's, as he's learning to scuba dive, but he put it away for many years, and then we all know what happened in 1939 in Europe 
with Hitler rising up and storming across Europe and, and decimating the Jews and the heartbreak of the war and, and, and the great global pandemonium that swirled up. And as he was in the war years, he was journaling and, and praying before Jesus, Jesus, come and deliver us from this death. Come and deliver us from this destruction. Oh God, please save us. And, and the image of scuba diving came back to him as he's journaling and praying and writing. And, and he wrote this long stretch about the incarnation, the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, Jesus, fully God and fully man. Through his scuba diving years, he had this metaphor, this image that came to him. And I want to read this long section uh, to you from an Oxford professor who was writing about Lewis. He says, Lewis invited his audience to imagine a diver plunging into a deep ocean to retrieve a lost precious object. As he goes deeper, the water changes from warm and sunlit to pitch black and freezing. Then his lungs almost bursting, he goes down into the mud and slime before finally heading back to the surface, triumphantly bearing the lost object. And what is this lost yet precious object that merited this dangerous and difficult descent? It is human nature. God descended into his own universe and he rose again, bringing human nature up with him. For Lewis, the doctrine of the incarnation shows us that God dived down into the bottom of creation and came up again bearing the whole redeemed nature on his shoulders. Somebody better get ready to shout amen. <laughs> the, the exertion, even the danger faced by the diver is a mark of the value. Why would Jesus come down into the depths of the abysmal chaos of the human nature? Why would he do that? It's a mark of the value of what has fallen down through the deep water into the mud. Lewis invites us to think of a diving God who plunges into a dark and distant world to bring us home to where we really belong and where we really matter. Perhaps it is natural for us to think that we must make our own way home, ascending from the depths in our own strength. Yet Lewis's analogy proposes a counter-narrative that God entered into the depths of our world in order to bear us home. Friends, we have all been lost. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all squandered the gift. We are all Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, snatching the story into our own hands and then the ensuing chaos that comes. We have all walked away. We have all lost what has been given to us. And what does God do? He sends his one and only son deep and dark into the bottomless pit of despair, not because God is bored, but because God must rescue the great treasure that has been lost down in, in the darkness. And so Jesus goes to the bottom of the ocean of our despair, and he finds the lost precious object, which is us, which is the human condition, and he snatches us up, and he takes us back up into the sunlight. God came after us, and our call is to come to Jesus every day so that his spirit can fill us, but we can only come to Jesus because Jesus came to us first. In, in the body of Jesus, the word became flesh. Heaven met earth 
God came together with humankind and Jesus was tempted in every way and he knows what it's like going into workplace where there's competition and he knows what it's like to lose a friend and he knows what it's like to be betrayed and he knows what it's like to stand outside of a tomb and weep because his friend has been lost and he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like, friends. Jesus came close to us to lift us up into the fullness of life. God came down from his divinity and brought his divinity into our humanity so that he might take all of our humanity and snatch it back up into his divinity. Friends, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He was born of a woman and he was born under the law. Why? To redeem those of us who are born under the law so that we might become children of God. Jesus came to heal you and me from the inside out. Can you say amen, church? Stand with me today. The worship team is going to come and we're going to sing some more adoring the Lord Jesus, Jesus at the center of it all. We'll receive communion here in just a moment, but I want us to bring our areas of brokenness to the Lord right now in prayer. I want us to think about all the things that are besetting our lives. Think about all the difficulties, all the different complexities, the fears and anxieties. Right now, I want us to bring them to the Lord and invite Jesus into them. So would you close your eyes with me, church? And would you open your hands as a, a sign of surrender and an invitation to the Lord to come have his way? Would you begin to tell him about those areas? of darkness, about those areas of fear? Can you tell them what scares you? Can you tell them about the deep anxieties? Can you tell them about the anger and the potential hatred that's stirring up in your soul? Would you give it over to Jesus? He knows. He's been there. Jesus has been on the brink. He knows the human condition, but he stood and he lasted and he made it and he was faithful and he was pure and he can make us faithful and pure again today if we'll just come to Jesus. So Jesus, we invite you right now to heal us. That which has not been assumed has not been healed, but that which has been assumed has been healed. So friends, for you today, those of you who are struggling, I speak the life and the blessing and the healing of Jesus over you. For those of you who are wondering how you could ever be free of something that's been troubling you for decades, I say today, in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, you are free. Jesus came to heal you from the inside out. You don't have to do this by your own strength. You'll never be able to do it by your own strength. But Jesus will give you the strength of his spirit today. And so I say, come Holy Spirit in this room. Come Holy Spirit and renew us. Come Holy Spirit and wash us clean. Come Holy Spirit and satisfy the deepest desires in our heart. Would you just begin to say, come Holy Spirit, invite the spirit to fill you today. Fill you to overflowing. You need fresh measures. Some of you are scared about your businesses. You're just, I just sense right now, some of you are the uncertainty in the economy and, and the, the, the fear of what might be in Jesus' name. I pray that you'd be free today so that you could trust Jesus who made it and who is empowering you to make it.
Come Holy Spirit and make us more like Jesus. God, would you do God to us today? Church, let's worship Jesus. Jesus as the center of it all. Let's lift our hands, let's lift our hearts, let's lift our voices and magnify the one who is here to make us strong today. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it'll always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it'll always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Sing it out.
Church, would you get your communion elements ready to receive today? And this is just the right thing to do in response to what we've heard about the word becoming flesh. Because Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, pay attention to what he does not give us. He doesn't give us theological formulae. He doesn't give us a book, a handbook for how to do it. Jesus gives us his broken body and his shed blood. He gives us bread and cup. The physical God, the God who becomes flesh, gives us something to sustain us in our weary flesh. So as you receive communion today, I want you to think about this moment as getting the life of Jesus inside you. <laughs> Taking it in by the power of his spirit, his kindness and his mercy and his love and his tenderness, and his trust in the Father, and his willingness to do the hard thing even if it costs him everything. When we come to the table of the Lord, we're saying, Jesus, do that inside of me. And so on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer in your hands? And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Friends, Jesus is here to feed you today. You may receive the bread. On the same night, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of all of your sins. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Friends, today I say to you, the good news of the gospel is you are no longer buried in your sins. You have been forgiven. You have been cleansed. You have been made new. You've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Forgiveness is yours. You may drink deeply of the forgiveness of Jesus.
preach just a little bit shorter today so we could go back into this song here in a second. We sang earlier in the service, he made me a new creation, old things passed, now I'm all brand new. It's what we just talked about today in the incarnation. He made us a new creation. He healed the human desiring mechanism. So we're gonna go back into that, but before we do, I want you to just give those places of your heart over to the Lord that need to be new creation made, right? And let's worship the Lord today by faith, trusting that something is shifting deep on the inside of us. Come on, church. Come on here, church. That's what Jesus did. Would you open your hands today as we prepare to go? I pray that you would find this week to be different. Pray that you would find when you're standing in front of that person with whom you've had difficulty, I pray that you'd find your heart to be different, softer, tender, compassionate, gracious, just like Jesus when he stood in front of us. I pray that we would even find ourselves diving to the bottom of the chaos ourselves to rescue, to pull, to pull other people back up, to pull other stories back up, things that we've just consigned to the depths, that we'd find ourselves with the, the faith of Jesus and the grit of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus to go to the bottom of that place and to see resurrection life come. Lord, I pray for my friends that you'd heal us to the deepest places. God, would you do God to us? <laughs> Make us more like Jesus, we pray. And I pray today, may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And I pray that he would grant you peace Shalom today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? <laughs> Hang tight before you run out. Three quick things. If you're new, come see us at Connect Central in the lobby. We would love to get to know you a bit and give you a gift.
Uh, we've got the Care Sunday tables out in the lobby, about 20 tables, incredible people, incredible resources. Go grab that booklet, go have some conversations and find the gift that's right in front of you here within this church. And then we've got section community parties for sections three and sections 10 today. Go from here today in God's grace and peace. So much love. I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come down now. If you have any prayer needs, we'd love to agree with you. Go from here in God's grace and peace.